Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. One of the things I love listening to on TV and when I uh, read news or personal interest articles is when people start talking about spirituality. Uh, It's always been fascinating to me what people define being spiritual as. When they say, I'm spiritual, they say things like, uh, well, I'm in sync with my passions and my dreams for life. And it's kind of like this feeling of life hitting on all cylinders kind of a thing is is, is what spirituality is about for some people. Other people uh, often refer to it as, I just have uh, the sense of peace in life. Or they say, I have order in my life. And so spirituality for them is kind of this rhythm of life being well-balanced between work and rest and play. And, or they'll say something that, uh, you know, I feel good when I do something like run and that's being spiritual. Or I listen to music and that's being spiritual. Or I, I do a good job at my work and that's being spiritual. I mean, all those things are, I guess, byproducts maybe of a really healthy spirituality, but they're not spirituality itself. I find it interesting how people define it. I mean, spirituality isn't, isn't it? Spirituality is really just a real vital relationship and communication with the spiritual. And hopefully that spiritual is God through Jesus for us, right? But uh, that's what this whole series is about that we're in right now, not on the sidelines. It's The major emphasis of this series is simply this. Spiritual gifts are the major way, a major way, God tangibly reveals himself to us. And we've been delving into in this series the, what we call the power gifts in theological circles, the spiritual gifts listed in Romans, or 1 Corinthians 12, which is our core text. And we're not going to reread our core text. Hey guys, welcome, so glad you're here. Half those guys were in Costa Rica. Um, our core text, we're not going to reread it again, but you see the word given there. It's used a number of, a number of times and it's implied a few other times. In the original Greek, that word give is actually in present tense. And what it's trying to communicate is simply this. God is coming into our present reality through these spiritual gifts. Now, some people struggle with these spiritual gifts. Uh, because they think about them and they say, they, they think like this. Well, if Paul had the spiritual gift of healing, then why did he not just heal Timothy's stomach when he had ailments rather than recommend Timothy use an ancient remedy, which was to just take a glass of wine a day to settle your stomach? Or some people think, if someone has the gift of prophecy, then why don't they just order up their 1-900 number and dial up prophecy and just give it on demand all the time? I mean, come on, why not, you know? But what the Bible is also communicating when it says about these things that it's the present tense and when God also says that God distributes them as he desires is that the gifts are not resident in the person. The gifts are resident with God. And the Holy Spirit gives the gifts as he determines when and how he wants to give them. And it's not us who determines can just pull a prophecy out of the hat like that, right? But there is also this very clear invitation that God does want to break into our everyday reality because he says he wants us to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the one we're talking about today and next week, 
the gift of prophecy. God is inviting all of us through this series to face our circumstances differently. When a friend is ill, to pray. When a, when a project at work is stymied, when we have a big decision in our future about our future that's pending before us, God's invitation is for us to more consistently ask Him, Lord, would you give me a spiritual gift so there is more than just my power and my presence and my wisdom in this moment that you are vividly experienced now. And I wonder if all of us would pray that prayer more often, what would happen? What would God do? How would he show up in more ways than he does now if we prayed that prayer, God, would you give me a spiritual gift in this moment when I'm facing this issue? Today, as we talk about prophecy, I want to acknowledge some of the confusion and disagreement around this topic. Many uh, think about this prophecy, uh, the gift of prophecy, and they say that they try to make an argument that says it was to establish Scripture and it was for the establishment of the early church, and then this gift went away when all the apostles died. I don't see that being uh, an accurate view of what the Bible says, and I, I certainly don't see it being an accurate view of Christian spiritual experience over the centuries. But I don't want to get into all those theological arguments today. Some of you may be interested in that, and I think it's really important to understand the theology. If you really want to understand it more, there's a book by Max Turner called The Holy Spirit and Spiritual Gifts that is a really good academic, fair analysis of all the different views and, and comes to the same conclusions or similar conclusions that I do. I, I, wanna, I think that's important to understand, but there's a part of me when I approach this subject that is just a whole lot more pragmatic. Uh, some of you may remember me telling this story before. I've I told it several years ago. In, in the fall of 1998, I was a part of a three-day intensive training process. It was like 14, 14, 16 hours a day. Uh, I was in a table group of six people, five other guys. Uh, They were all leaders from this other movement of churches in the nation, some of their most influential leaders. And the seminar's focus was on personal development as a pastor, as a person, as a leader. It was extremely experiential, and we got to know each other pretty good after three days of 16 hours a day together, right? At the end of the, th- the, the three days, the closing exercise was what I call hot seat prayer. You know, the one guy sits down in the, prayer, in, the, in the seat and everybody gathers around and they pray for him and then somebody else gets in the seat and everybody prays for him, right? Well, these guys knew that I was from a tradition that didn't believe the gifts had ceased, but they were from a tradition that adamantly believed that the gift of prophecy and all the other gifts that we're talking about in this had ceased with the apostles. In fact, the leading voice of their movement is a nationally recognized figure. I'm not going to name him today, but he's a nationally recognized figure who would say to us that if, if you believe in prophecy and tongues and all the spiritual gifts in this, in this passage today, then you are seriously misguided maybe even a heretic. And as we got ready to pray at this moment in the closing exercise, these other guys looked at me, uh, knowing that I believe the gifts are still active today, and said, Ross, there will be no prophesying, okay? And there was no, I mean, there really wasn't a question there. I mean, they ended it with a question, but there was really no question. And they immediately turned and started praying. And here's the deal. Within 30 seconds of the beginning to pray, They were praying things that I would say was the gift of prophecy through them. They were praying over their friend going, I I feel like God's giving me a picture and he wants to talk to you about your purpose and your calling for your future and your ministry and your life. And it was a really powerful time. The guys were sensing God's spirit and coming to tears. 
And they didn't, here's the interesting thing. These guys didn't believe that prophecy is a current thing because of the way they defined it. But they did believe that hearing from God still happened and they practiced that in prayer in a way that what I would describe was this gift of prophecy in ministry to others. See, we get caught up in a lot of these theological disagreements a lot of times over language and terminology and how we believe about these spiritual gifts. But the reality is God's Spirit still gives them. Even to people who refuse to believe that they still exist or don't know how to label them or even understand what they are, if we want to follow Him, He still gives us these things. And the value of a series like this is to begin to recognize those aren't just weirdness in me. That might be God. And we can learn to go with Him when He gives those things to us. Now, for the rest of our time together today, we're going to talk, just quickly define prophecy. Then we're going to spend some time going through uh, several purposes that I think the Bible teaches us about prophecy. And we're going to give biblical examples. And we're going to give examples from our current day today as well. And we're going to briefly look at what Paul talks about when he says we need to test prophecy and understand that. And then we're going to, just going to close today by inviting us to seek this gift and learn to work with God in giving it to others as well. So that's a lot in a short time. Would you just pause for me a moment and let's just ask God to be with us and make this more than just a a lecture. Lord, we ask that you would come and that you indeed would bring to mind for us, each one of us, times when you have given us this gift. Maybe we didn't even recognize it and that you would begin to build in us a confidence and understanding how your spirit wants to communicate to us and through us to bring your good and blessing to other people through this gift of prophecy. Give us the wisdom, Lord, to exercise it well. Would you just pour your spirit out on us in this moment right now? In Jesus' name, amen. So, what is prophecy? There are a number of definitions, but most of them fall within these various forms. Things like uh, one is uh, it's a person telling others something that God revealed them revealed to them. Or another way of putting that same kind of thing would be it's a message from God given through a human who has been inspired in that moment by the Holy Spirit. It's a divine revelation that often speaks to particulars in our situation of life right now that the Scripture only gives general guidelines and principles to, but does not and even cannot speak specifically to that moment. Like, is it time to be patient and wait? Or is it time to move forward with this decision? Is it, am I headed in the right direction or do I need to make a course correction? Those kinds of things that the Bible gives us principles but can't speak to the specific thing in our life. It's distinct from preaching and teaching uh, because teaching is based on previously given revelation from the Bible and is a result of careful study and preparation. But prophecy is something God brings to mind in the moment that we maybe didn't understand and couldn't understand in our human understanding or hadn't understood it before. Whether we, and whether we share it with someone right away in that moment or not, that doesn't make any difference. If we share it later, it's still this thing that happens in the moment. And prophecy from God is always, always consistent with the Bible, never adding to it, never taking away from it, and never being counter to what the Bible says. Prophecy is God speaking to us in a moment. 
We see this in 1 Corinthians 14, 29 through 30, and when it says, let two or three prophets speak. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. And the intimation is that they should give opportunity for that next person to speak. See, the text there is speaking about something that happens that's not studied, not prepared for. You may hold on to it. You may study it. You may pray about it before you share it. But it is a breaking in of God communicating to us in a specific moment. So, that's the definition. What are the purposes of prophecy? 1 Corinthians 14, 3 lays out some of them and begins us down the right track. It says, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. See, prophecy is intended to be this really positive, energizing, affirming, confirming thing in our lives. And sometimes we struggle with it because we look at it mainly through the lens of the Old Testament prophets at times and, and even then a distorted lens because we look at the Old Testament prophets and go, well, there's a whole lot of judgment going on there and that's what prophecy is. And, and even then we look at that and we misunderstand God's heart. I mean, certainly there can be and sometimes is an element of judgment and prophecy. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But the primary focus and the primary intent is strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And if you read even the Old Testament prophets with that grid in mind, it begins to make even, it begins to allow you to see even God's invitation and His kindness in His heart, even through some of the strongest words in the Old Testament. Now these three words, strength, encouragement, and comfort, overlap each other a lot, so I've taken the liberty today to actually categorize the purposes of prophecy in some different ways that I see in the Bible and have experienced because I think every single one of the ways I've described in ter- I'm going to describe in terms of purpose brings strength, encouragement, and comfort. So first, prophecy is often intended to confirm or shape your calling or purpose in life. We see this all over, but one place we see it is Acts 13, and it reads this way. It says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, and it lists a bunch of names and then ends with and Saul, and we actually know Saul better by his, by his Roman name, the Apostle Paul. So, and it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So God speaks to Paul's small group, right? That's what it is. It's his small group that he's in. And he both confirms his call that God has on his life, and he also says now is the time to step out into that call because this is something that Paul had already known God was calling him to. This is just confirming what Paul already knew and saying now is the time. I've seen this kind of thing happen in business people's lives uh, about starting businesses and making career moves quite often. The problem is I don't remember the stories clear enough to tell them compellingly. So today I'm just going to admit most of the stories today are from my, my, my life and Wendy's life today. Next week we've got some more stories from people outside of us. I remember November 1996. It was during a time of, uh, of prayer at a church service and we had a, a guest speaker there named Cheon. At the time he was a vineyard pastor in California. And Wendy and I had been privately wrestling with uh, our sense of calling and purpose and were we in the right place and what, what was God wanting to do with us. And, and, and Che felt like God had given him a, a prophetic word for us. So he came over and he spoke to us this word. And as he spoke it, we encountered the power of the Holy Spirit in a really profound way. 
One of the things he said in that time to us was the Lord is saying he's pleased with you laboring faithfully in another man's vineyard for a long time, but he's preparing to give you your own vineyard. And in that moment, there were two affirmations to us that really gave us some clarity. See, I had been struggling being 33 years old, and I, I had never been a senior pastor by that point. I, and most of my friends who I went through seminary were senior pastors, you know, five, six years before that. I, I was still serving in a second role. And uh, what God was saying there was affirming that, no, I've placed you there, and I'm, I've got you there for a while longer. I'm going to have you serve there for a while, but there someday you will lead from a first chair, from a, from a, a lead position. And some of you know that that was actually a pivotal word, uh, part of what brought us to Quest here. In 2008, 12 years after this word was given, God said in a time of prayer, now is the time. And I don't just mean vineyard metaphorically like you're going to have your own vineyard. I mean the vineyard church movement. So we were actually in a different movement and and didn't want to leave. And God said, no, I, I mean this. And that's how we ended up here. See, God loves confirming the calling on our lives and the purpose and the plans he has for our lives through prophecy so we can walk with strength and encouragement and comfort through those decisions. Prophecy also brings assurance. I think it's one of the other purposes. When we're facing difficult, uncertain situations, it brings assurance. We see this in Acts 27. Paul is on a ship on his way to Rome as a prisoner, and uh, and it's the end of the season right before winter, and during that season, the Mediterranean was not friendly to, to be on it. They were having a hard time sailing because of the weather, and they were actually in a port earlier in the chapter, and Paul actually has a word from God then saying to the soldiers and the sailors who were in charge, we're not supposed to leave this port, we shouldn't leave it. But they do anyway. And they get caught in a a ferocious nor'easter storm and they're in such a desperate situation that everyone is hopeless expecting to die. And Paul, whether praying overnight, uh, gets a prophecy and he shares it with them. And we see that in verse 23. He said, last night, he's talking to the men of the ship, the the sailors and the, and the, the soldiers. He says, last night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. And said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. He'd been praying that God would save everyone with him. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. See, God essentially says to them in this desperate moment, I am with you. I'm going to carry you through this. I'm with you. Think about those four words. I am with you. Not just the generic words of Scripture, which we we know the Scripture tells us God's with us, and we try to hold on to those promises, and we work really hard to believe those, but, but this is the breaking in specifically into your situation, God speaking specifically to right where you are at right now and saying, I am with you in a way that you know it's Him, right? Think about it. Apply those words to your situation right now. If you're facing an operation or a family or a friend or maybe you're facing disease and it's uncertain and scary or maybe you're starting a new job or you're, or, or you're in a stressful political battle at work that just is really challenging to work with some people and through a situation or maybe... You're facing the potential of a decision for a big life change. 
If God gave you a prophecy for you that spoke directly to your circumstances and you knew that you knew that you knew that it was God saying, I'm with you, how would that make you feel in that moment? Maybe some of you are at that point right now and you really need to hear God and you need to know God is with you in this moment. See, that's the reason I regularly encourage us to pray with each other after services, to pray in your small group, even for that matter to have people who don't know you that well, maybe even strangers who are followers of Jesus pray for you because, you know, isn't it, I mean, sometimes it's really nice to have strangers pray for you because your friends know you really well. And they love you, so they're going to pray their desire for your situation. It becomes messy. Is this really God speaking to me? Or is this just my friend's heart for me and their kindness towards me? Is this, is this God saying is with me, or is it just my friend? And you, it gets messy, doesn't it, sometimes? Sometimes it's really nice to have a, pray, a stranger pray for you who doesn't know what you're going through. And God knows we need this kind of encouragement and strength and comfort to make it through life. So he often gives us prophetic words through other people or to ourselves in some way that give us strength and encouragement to us in that moment. So ask for prayer. Let other people pray for you. And you also pray for others and ask God in that moment to give you gifts of prophecy or what other other gift is necessary for that moment to let that person know, I am with you. God is with you. That kind of thing's happened a lot here at Quest, off in the background, even even publicly at times. Um, as we get together a lot of times and pray for the church, it's happened. Pat DeVille, one of our elders, uh, came who regularly prays for us as a church, comes to the prayer times we have for the church. And he came to one, one Wednesday morning to the prayer time and said, you know, I had a dream last night, and I never dream, but this dream was really profound, and I think it was from God. And he came and prayed and shared it, and it brought strength and courage to me. And I want, to, I want to share it and bring encouragement to you today as well. He said in the dream he was driving up to Quest in the parking lot, and all the houses around Quest were gone. I mean, you know, we're used to all these houses springing up everywhere. They're all gone. And it was just now all of a sudden these expansive fields ripe for harvest, right up to the edge of our parking lot. Just you could reach out. It was just going to be so easy to make this harvest happen. And it was huge. It went on for a long ways. And he said, I feel like God is saying to us, I'm preparing a a large harvest for Quest. And it's not going to be something that you have to just work really hard for. It's just going to be something that comes because he's at work. You see, prophecy is meant to give us assurance of God being with us. Prophecy is also meant, I think, another purpose is, like we talked earlier, to bring conviction. 1 Corinthians 14 also says this in verse 24. It says, But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they will be convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among us. And most of you are probably wanting to run for the exits right now. Because there's two two words and a phrase in there that scare the bejeebers out of most people. Right? Conviction and judgment and laying bare the secrets of your heart. I mean, that's not a comfortable thought. Right? So let's try to understand these words and these phrases a little better and put them in some context. 
Conviction and judgment in this passage are actually the same legal terms that were used in the courts of law back in Paul's time. They're courtroom terminology. And we often think only of conviction in the negative sense. I mean, who wants to be convicted and sent to jail, right? But the broader sense of conviction is much different than that in a legal sense if we think about it. The conviction is the laying out of truth in an orderly, clear way so that we are convinced of what truth and error are. And the word judgment then comes into play, and it's the word that means on the basis of that clarity, on the basis of the facts, we are empowered then to make a right and good and fair and honest decision. See, let's put in this context. Remember, Jesus said, I did not come to condemn, but to save, to heal you, to make you a whole person. And forgiveness through Jesus is already purchased for you. It's already offered you, offered to you freely to be received if you want to receive it. So in that light, God revealing the secrets of your heart is actually a lot more like the kindness of a doctor giving you an accurate diagnosis so that you can be convinced you are making the right choice that will lead you to health and wholeness and the life you really want to be a part of in life. Conviction is an act of grace. Remember, the gifts are graces. The actual word translated gift is also translated elsewhere, grace. They are the graces of God given to us. They are the kind, the, 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 this kind of prophecy is a kindness of God coming to you, rescuing you from pain and damage of sin and rescuing you from the threat of final judgment after death and Jesus returns. It is the kindness of God. So when you get a prophecy like this or a word like this from God where it's going to be confronting sin in someone else, you need to be thinking about delivering that to them in a way that comes across as kind in the way you communicate it. Here's another purpose of prophecy. Prophecy can also give direction and point to the future. And I think when most of us think of prophecy, this is actually what we narrow it down to. We usually think it's all about predicting the future, and certainly that's a part of it. But as I examine a prophecy in the Bible and as I examine my experience and other people's experience of it, this is, I think, a smaller portion of prophecy than we normally would like to think it is, one that we need to be careful with. We certainly do see it in the Bible, Acts 11 and Acts 21. We see this guy named Agabus in Acts 11. He gives a prophecy about a famine to come in Judea. The church prepares with great generosity and they have a tremendous opportunity because they prepared for this for several years before it happened. And now they had a huge ministry opportunity to meet people's needs because of responding to this direction for the future. We see Agabus again in chapter 20, 21 uh, coming to the Apostle Paul. And he prophesies to Paul, who's on his way to Jerusalem. He says, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested and you're going to be bound and carried off as a prisoner. And Paul indeed was. These are both clear, directive words about the future that came true. And I've had the same experience on a number of occasions. I remember one morning God gave me a dream. It was an early Sunday morning before church, and I was still sleeping, obviously, a dream. And uh, it was about some of the future plans and some of the things that we were wrestling with and praying about, and God was giving some direction through this dream. And we went to church that day and never talked to anybody, but three people 
came up, several of them in the hallway of church, and said, I just need to pray for you, and God wants to say this to you. And they, they basically, all three of them, three times that same day, repeated back to me the essence of the dream I had just had that morning, confirming it. Even in coming to Quest, this happened. In 2006, I had a, I had a very vivid dream from God where God said, Transition 0609, that's all it said. I wrote it down, prayed about it, I kept asking God about it. In May of 2008, I'm on the phone with a good friend of ours named Bob Laughlin. And uh, he felt like the Lord spoke to him a prophetic word. He says, you know, 0609, God's telling me, is, the, is like the expiration date on a credit card. It's the end of the transition. Your transition will be complete by then. And in a manner that was completely out of my control, my last day on the job in Oregon was June of 2009, 0609. And my first day on the payroll here was June of 2009, 06. And what I've come to realize through my own experience and through reading the Bible and other people's experience is that many directive prophecies about the future are things that are completely out of your control to to make happen. Or they're also a lot like a, a prophetic word Wendy and I received from our friend Bob Laughlin about our transition from Oklahoma to Oregon many years ago, uh, that we didn't actually see how that word was fulfilled until several months after the transition was done already in Oregon. See, rather than being directive on the front end, many of the directive, predictive of the future prophecies, we don't really fully understand till we're already through it and we look back on it. But it prepares our hearts for God to do something. Now, there's one really important lesson we need to learn well if prophecy in our midst is ever going to be healthy. Okay? Many people who know a little bit of the Bible struggle with prophecy because they look at the Old Testament and they see these things written in the Old Testament. If you give a false prophecy, you die. That's a little intimidating. Why would anybody want to become a prophet and give a prophecy, right? I mean, that's pretty intimidating. Uh, theologian, a systematic theologian, Wayne Grudem, and, and there's several others, uh, uh, present a good case if you want to go look at this, that there are two distinct forms of prophecy in the Bible. And the everyday experience of the gift of prophecy that we have through what we're talking about is not on that level of the Old Testament command. And much of that conclusion comes simply from Paul's teaching about these gifts in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 13, and 14, chapters 12, 13, and 14. Now, Paul talks about the gifts all throughout that. We look at chapter 13, and it's the love chapter. Everybody reads it at their wedding, right? And we think that's what it's about. But actually, it's the center, the core of his teaching about the spiritual gifts that we're talking about. And in it, Paul says this. He says, for now we see only a reflection in a mirror, and then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully. Now, that part about the mirror, that doesn't come across quite as well in some of the newer translations. Some of the older translations say it this way. They say, for now I see in a glass darkly, but then face to face. And they say darkly in the older translations for good reason. Because in Paul's days, mirrors weren't like the mirrors we have today that give a pretty accurate reflection. They were polished metal. Have you ever tried to fix your hair in, a, in, the, in, the, in the shadow of a, of a fork? You know, I mean, it's that kind of thing. And, or they were impure glass. 
And Paul is saying, and using this metaphor, we can't expect the gifts to be fully pure all of the time through us as humans. We distort them. We only see in part and we don't fully understand. Now, put that there, and now put it right next to the fact that Paul still says to us, eagerly desire the gifts. Even though they're small and distorted, a glimpse of God, even distorted, is better than no glimpse at all. So he says, still eagerly desire and still practice the gifts, knowing that they're going to be imperfect. Because God chooses to work through you in spiritual gifts. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, basically, if I were to summarize, exercise the gifts in a way that is loving, patient, and kind, recognizing this imperfection. And then he adds an important piece to that one chapter later in 1 Corinthians 14 when he says this, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. That word way in some translations is translated test. Every, the other people should test what is said. See, we need to be in this position to willingly receive prophetic words from God, but to test words of prophecy and any spiritual gift that is given to us. Let God sift it and refine it and confirm it. We need to test any words of prophecy, not just take them at face value. Because another aspect, and I think a purpose of prophecy, is simply this. That God wants us to engage with him in discussion about it and in the actions that it may elicit out of us to help him lead us better. It's to engage us more deeply in the relationship with him. I remember one time, during one of the times of transition in our life in the past, there was a, there was a, a woman in our life, I won't name her, who was wonderfully gifted by God in prophecy, but she was also really insecure about anyone ever leaving relationship with her. So she would regularly prophesy over Wendy and I, and she would, she would say things she didn't know about because we hadn't talked to her about it, that was confirming what God was saying to us in really powerful ways. But then she would always add on the end of it this little tag. And you're going to do it here. You're going to be with us for the next 20 years, and you're never going to leave us, and God's got his place right here for you. But we already knew that God was telling us that we were going to be leaving. You see how that gets mixed? God can reveal a word of prophecy to you, but in the process of communicating it, The word of prophecy becomes mixed with your own perceptions, your own desires, or your own baggage as an individual. See, when Agabus prophesied to Paul in in chapter 21 that he was going to be bound and arrested in Jerusalem, many of the rest of them who also, it says, operated in this gift of prophecy, that knew how to operate in this gift of prophecy from God, basically said to Paul, that means you're not supposed to go. They pleaded with him saying, don't go. But Paul knew that God had already called him there. And he knew this word of prophecy was the prophecy to strengthen him and encourage him for what he was going to go through and face and that he needed to go through that. See, sometimes prophecy also is downright wrong. When Wendy and I were engaged, there was an elder in the church that she was a part of who was often used by God in prophecy and gifts of the Spirit. But she also had some past relational baggage and she had some theological views that were problematic yet. And she prophesied over Wendy that if Wendy married me, that I would be the spiritual death of her. It really shook Wendy. And for a while, 
I wondered if it was the end of our relationship. Well, it was wrong, or at least I haven't spiritually killed her yet. <laughs> and speaking of Wendy, would you welcome her, because she's going to share our next, our next piece. what they believe that God is saying because just, it just helps God like you know that he's more currently active and he's involved in your life and I also love how God speaks to us directly um, and we can call that prophecy too I wanted to share an example which I'm not sure if it's technically prophecy but it was a word that came out of nowhere that was encouraging challenging to me in ways that I didn't even know I needed um, and it changed my life I think, so, it's, I think it's a prophetic word in the most unusual way one of them, so. maybe. But we were living in Oregon at the time, and I worked outside of the home part-time and teaching at a local college, but most of my focus was on the kids. I was helping Ross and some other friends with their career aspirations, but in many ways, I was on the sidelines. And that was totally okay with me. You know, I was content being behind the scenes because it's a lot less pressure and a lot less stress. And But yet, there was something that was growing a little bit of discontentment in me. And as typical it is for many of you... Um, there was a season where I was just getting more and more tired. There was something just not happy inside. And so one afternoon, I was physically, emotionally tired, and I got the kids, you know, the older ones were gone, and the younger one, he took a nap. Um, I had some alone time, and I wanted to pray. And as I started praying, I was drawn to turn on the TV. Now, I've read a few books on prayer, and I've never seen anywhere in those prayer books that, the, that they teach you, turn the television on, and that's how you hear God, right? You know, that just doesn't work. And so, but after a few, about 10 minutes of internal struggle, I, I turned the TV on. And, because um, I was wanted to, I was curious, is this God or is this me? And so I wanted to have you guys show a little clip of what I saw during that prayer time. Because when I turned on the TV, immediately I saw the last few minutes of a movie called The Replacements. So um, there's a few disclaimers on that. This movie is not an Academy Award winner. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend it because there's some inappropriate parts in it, but um, it, it rocked my world. Um, and I guess to help, I did not know anything about the movie before I saw the last few minutes, but it's the replacements. All the NFL players had gone on strike, and so these guys, they called them in to play some pivotal games. And this is their last game, the last time they'll get to play, but it's their second chance. You know, people that didn't make it the first time got to be in it. And so, um, anyway, this is, wanted to uh, see a little bit about um, God's sense of humor and how he likes to talk. <laughs> it makes you cry every time, and I don't even like football. <laughs> oh, come on. We don't watch chick flicks. We watch football movies. Oh, my gosh. But I just remember sitting on the floor, smiling through the tears of being encouraged, because it was like God was personally saying, do you want to be in the game or do you want to be on the sidelines? And my heart resonated so much in the beginning that quarterback was asked, um, from the coach, you know, what's it going to be? And the quarterback says, I want the ball. And the coach's response was, winners always do. God was inviting me to be willing to say, I want the ball, to be okay in leading when I thought others could do it better. Because I always thought someone could teach it better, somebody hears God better. You know, and I still struggle with this. I don't like to come up on Sunday mornings um, because I think somebody else could do it better. Yet I remember this word, and I wanted to be in the game because I loved feeling the pleasure of being trying to do my best for God and experiencing his pleasure. Because in that movie when that curmudgeonly older man in the stands yells when the wide receiver catches the pass and makes that touchdown, it felt like God was saying, 
I knew it. I knew it along. You beautiful SOB, I knew you could do it. Now, I, I know we believe those three words, um, and you know, but I found the swearing actually endearing because not that I think that God swears because he has a much better vocabulary than we do, but it reinforced that sense that God knew all my flaws, and yet he still believed the best in me. And God experienced so much joy when I took risks, when I wanted to, to run with the ball. And it flamed in me a desire to want to be a part of a great legacy of men and women that have gone before us who are cheering us on. I mean, to stay true to our faith and how fun it is to celebrate when we live life well both now and what it's going to be like when this life is over. So I don't consistently live this world word, but it was a game changer for me. Um, Because it was the moment that I agreed that I wanted the ball and I wasn't going to try to play safe behind the scenes anymore. And there's a quote at the end of the movie where the coach described these men's experience. They said, their lives were changed forever because they were part of something great. And greatness, no matter how brief, changes a man. And I believe that that word isn't just for me. I think it's for many of you. And God is asking you to get in the game even more. You know, he invites you to be engaged in something that is great, and that's going to change you. Jesus tells us that he wanted us to do the things he did and more. The Apostle Paul tells us to eagerly ask for that gifts. Get in the game. Get the ball. Um, even if you think others could, be, could do it better. Because it's so amazing to feel the pleasure in walking the life that he's called you to. Because this game is really it's for everyone because everybody plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the invitation of this whole series. Do you want the ball? God has a really cool ball he wants all of us to get. It's gifts from Him that we get to give to others. It's power from Him that we get to give to others. Next week, we're going to more specifically talk about uh, some spiritual gifts that I think operate within and under the idea of prophecy. And we're going to give some tips on how we can recognize when God might be giving giving you a spiritual gift to someone else and how we can share that well. But today, as we close... I want to invite you to personally respond to that challenge to take the ball or in the Apostle Paul's words, his strong invitation in 14.1 that says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, so that we don't live life on the sidelines. And in order to not live life on the sidelines, we have to start by expressing that desire by even be opening to it, by asking God for those gifts, by believing he wants to give them to us, and then taking risks to pray or taking risks to ask people to pray for you so that you can have an opportunity for God to speak to you or you praying for others so you can seize that opportunity for maybe God to work through you to speak to someone. It means praying in your small group. It means praying after services. It means praying at home with your friends or your family or at your office with a coworker when they ask you to pray for them or when they allow you to pray for them and to learn to recognize when God is giving you a gift for you to give to someone. See, the only way we learn is to eagerly desire, and we have to give ourselves permission to know in part and see in part. And when someone prophesies over you, we have to also give ourselves permission to be comfortable with the fact that they only see in part. So it's perfectly legitimate for us to test that word. But we have to start there. We have to start by eagerly desiring And we have to say, God, I want the ball. So as we close in prayer, would you join me in that? 
maybe in your own way, Lord, just say, Lord, I want the ball. Lord, I want your spiritual gifts. I don't want to do this life um, on my own power alone. I clearly don't have enough power to do it. Lord, I want to be a part of the, the kingdom advance that you have, the harvest that you have around us that is big and ready and coming. But Lord, I can't do it on my own strength. So would you show up and would you pour your gifts of your spirit out upon us so that as we speak to people, as we pray to people, pray for people, that they would know you know them. You know their situation and you're with them. So it becomes so much more than just me, Lord. It becomes all about you. Come and pour your spirit out on us and do that. Grow us in that as a people and as a church that this community would be radically changed because of your power and your presence with us, not because of how winsome we are, but because of how amazing you are. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit. And would you just continue to join in worship and prayer in that same idea as we continue? Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest's podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.